the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. What is entering my heart? It's giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. The Lord is good. Let's take our seats. Let's get into our teaching for this um, evening. For a while now, we've been talking about this prophetic um, word for the season, which I'm convinced is what the Holy Spirit wants the church to know in this season. Now, let's remind ourselves again. Jesus said, the light of the body is the eyes. And then if the light that is supposed to be illuminating the body is dark, he said, how great is that darkness? What that means is that if the church is supposed to be the light, he said, you are the light of the world. If the church is supposed to be the light, then the world is in trouble if the church is walking in darkness. And that is why in this season, we are addressing our verses, first of all, to the church before we address that to the world. It's very important. Let me explain this. The church must aggressively pursue walking in the light. We must aggressively pursue walking in the light because that is the only hope for salvation for the earth. The church must aggressively pursue walking in the light that as a body. Now, the church has hundreds of thousands and millions and scores of millions and maybe hundreds of millions of people inside it. Now, in that group, God normally puts some people in, in front. And let me say something again. You know what James said? James said, all of us, you don't want to be teachers. Now, I want to, you must understand, under the new covenant, under the old covenant, they talked more about prophets. And then for the same office, the new covenant focuses more on teachers. So both of them are talking about people who take leadership in the body of Christ. Now, what I want to bring out is that when James said we shouldn't be eager to be leaders, that's what I was trying to imply. People who instruct people, who tell them what is right to do. He said, let's not be eager. He said, because... Now, he's not saying she rejected. Please, you must understand that. But some people look at it as a position of influence. I've seen people that, of course, maybe I've not seen personally. I've seen people who rejoice at it, but people who declare party feasts because they've been promoted in church. When you are promoted, you should go and mourn. I hope you're getting my point. Mourning is that you should become afraid for yourself. James said it is because you are going to suffer double judgment. That's where I'm going. You are going to suffer double judgment. The reason is because there's a principle there that when God wanted to punish the household of Jeroboam, he punished the household of Jeroboam for two things. The sins that he did and the ones that he made Israel to commit. So that's what happens with teachers. When you lead, you are held responsible for what you do wrongly, and then you are held responsible for what the people who listen to you do wrongly because of what you tell them to do. That's what James was saying. That I don't think is a position of elevation. Because in these our modern times, 
we have really elevated that pastor position to a very great position. So you use the title pastor to open doors for yourself in this life. You use the, the title pastor to get away from trouble. I hope you're getting my point. I was traveling the other day. A federal road safety officer stopped me and booked us for a particular, well, we didn't commit sin. Just said we should go and change our plate number to the modern plate number. And I've had a problem with that principle. There was a court that said we didn't have to do that. But anyway, make a long story short that we have not changed to the new plate number. And so we should pay a fine. You know that kind of thing. So, all right, fine. He gave us the ticket and time to go. He found out that I'm a pastor. He started feeling bad. That why didn't I say so from the beginning? That if only I said so, this booking would not have occurred. I said, don't worry about it. She is my money. Don't worry about it. I will pay the, it wasn't much money, you understand. Now, so that's what the title pastor does. You know, you toss it around to get influence. Why? You are living in society where they don't behead pastors. I hope I get my point. Yes, you know, it's your best day. Everybody gathers and gives you a brand new car. So young boys think that that is what the position is about. Let me just tell you, that is not what it is about. It's a position of responsibility. It's a position in which before you say anything, all right, think well about it. Because if people, you know, obey what you are saying and they fall into a ditch, God will break your leg. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You walking into the ditch, you break a leg. Then those who follow you will break a leg. You understand? That is, and then God will now hold you responsible. Even if you did not walk with them, you will now break two legs because you broke one for yourself and one for them. Do you get what I'm trying to explain here? So James said, don't aspire to that office as if it's a position. You know, there are people who are studying hard that one day in this church, I'm going to become a pastor. God is saying that in this church, I'm going to start judging you severely. That's just what it means. Bear it in mind. So, if the whole body is supposed to lead the world into the proper place, of course, which is the light of the gospel, then inside that body, there are those who are supposed to lead the rest of the body into the proper work. That's what we're talking about. And they are the ones that we call pastor. Okay, let's just give all the titles. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's their primary assignment. Or let's put it like this. They are the leaders or the elders of the church. And they, therefore, because they are held responsible for the sins of the whole church, must be careful to know what is right, practice what is right, and teach what is right. Let me say that again. They must be careful to know what is right, to practice what is right, and then teach what is right. And that is why this word, this day, in the last few meetings we have been on this, is going primarily to those who instruct people. It's going, of course, what I say to one, I say to all. Let him, him that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That is, even though it's not direct, it may not appear like I'm talking to you, but listen, you must pay attention to it. I'm acknowledging that the primary focus of this teaching over the last few weeks, okay, is the People who lead. The pastors. The pastors. I said something last time, all right? That judgment begins where? In the house of God. Now, in that house, I'm telling you, it will begin in the place where God puts the responsibility. So let's be careful. Let's be careful. For a long time, we treated those positions like positions of honor. And they should be honorable. The Bible says that they are worthy of what? Double honor. We know that. But don't forget, as they are worthy of double honor, James reminded us they are worthy of double judgment. You know the meaning of judgment? Let me say it in common English. Punishment. They are worthy of double honor. They are worthy of what? Double judgment. Double punishment. I remember what uh, that great prophet, Kennedy Higgins, told us once. That once the Lord told him, 
that at the end of 65, the man who was standing in the forefront of the prophetic office, at least in their nation, maybe worldwide at that time, I don't know, but at least in their country that time, the Lord told him as far back as 59, that at the end of 65, I'm going to remove him. That come 66, he will no longer be found. And what was the reason? He said he's leading the body of Christ astray. That was the reason. He did not commit adultery. He did not eat church money. His own sin was that he was leading the body of Christ astray. December 65, a drunken driver ran into his car and killed him. Now, I've said it before, no death is an accident. Coronavirus doesn't just kill who it likes or who did not cover the nose. It's, the name is written ahead. He is told, or it is told who to execute and who not to execute. There are people that you will be, te- be told, make him or her sick. Then on the seventh day, you depart. And the doctors will labor, labor, labor for six days. On the seventh day, the fellow will recover. And they will say the doctors tried. <laughs> the doctors didn't do jack. There are times they will say, okay, execute that person. And people will cry intercession. And the person will call upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord will say, I have already said it. Whoever will call upon my name will be saved. So the spirit will withdraw its hands. That's just an aside. So the man was removed. It appeared physically like an accident, but it was not an accident. The Lord said he was leading the body of Christ astray. One thing I've been pumping out in the last few weeks, again and again and again, some people have rebelled against the teaching. Not because I'm the one saying it. They rebelled against it long ago. But it doesn't change the fact that it's the truth. God punishes people. God judges. He's merciful. He's also just. If you are just, you have to judge iniquity. You are not a just God if you let every iniquity pass. He said, what about the blood of Jesus? You must understand. The blood of Jesus washes away the sins of those who repent. The blood of Jesus washes away the sins of those who have a contrite heart, a humble spirit. They come to God in repentance and they ask for forgiveness and they bear fruit in keeping with repentance. They don't just take it for granted that the blood of Jesus is there, I do what I like. No. The blood of Jesus covers areas they don't understand. The blood of Jesus covers any sin they confess. But if they deliberately, after light has been shown to them, after truth has been expressed, if they decide to go against the truth or deliberately reject the truth, the blood does not cover that. All that is remaining is a just recompense for their disobedience. Don't forget it. Please don't forget it. That is what is called the fear of God. The fear of God is not reverence for God. No. The fear of God means I understand that this God is pure. He can't stand disobedience. He can't stand sin. If I will approach him, I have to take sin away out of my life. If I will walk before him and sin is inside my heart, as it strikes at the sin, my heart will be affected. That's what it means to fear God. Fear God, to fear God does not mean to be worshipping him with hands lifted up and iniquity in the heart. No, it doesn't work like that. To fear God means I understand. If I disobey him, I will suffer the consequences. To fear God means that I walk on perfecting holiness. 
That's what it means to fear God. It means to work on perfecting holiness in my life. To work on perfecting righteousness. To work on perfecting a righteous and a holy work before him. So that everything that I do is pure as far as his eyes are concerned. That's the meaning of the fear of God. People want to make the fear of God look as if you are saying we should see God and be trembling. If you are sinning, please tremble low. He said, no, I don't want to walk in sin consciousness. Sin consciousness, it means, the way we understand this is, you just understand that I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. That's not what we are saying. What we mean is that, purge your heart of all defilement. Then you don't have to walk in sin consciousness. You cannot be committing adultery. You cannot be sinning, lying, cheating, and saying, I don't want to walk in sin consciousness. If you unconsciously drink cyanide, you will still die. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. Don't say, you know, because sometimes we take some of these, and you are making people sin conscious. But they are sinning. But they are sinning. They should repent. They should stop. We cannot just cover it as if there's nothing going on. Because we don't want them to walk in sin consciousness. Say it to them simply, simply. If you continue like this, God will have to judge you. Paul looked at it and said, why didn't this boy learn a lesson? Okay, I cast him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. I want others to learn. I want his own spirit to be saved. He didn't say, no, let's not walk in sin consciousness. You can take your father's wife and be living with your father's wife. Amen. In Christ Jesus, you are holy. You are righteous. In Christ, you are righteous. Amen. Amen. Don't think about sin. Sin is of the flesh. The spirit is pure. You will just die. You can't be talking that kind of nonsense. You know, sometimes I wonder, which Bible do we read? You know, I just wonder. Do we, you know, most people, they don't read this Bible. They have a few selected verses. They have crowned from some ministers. Perfect love casts out fear, so you don't need to fear God. They forget that the same person that tells you that perfect love casts out fear, is all, that is the same apostles, they're also telling you perfect holiness in the fear of God. The same people, they're from the same school. Please, let's bear it in mind. Like I said, maybe my name is Amos or Jeremiah, but this generation needs Amoses. This generation needs Jeremiah's. Because what they have mostly are those who teach them how to succeed. What we have these days are those who teach us how to grab and grab and grab. Like I was saying the other day, my wife was telling me that anytime she listens to a preacher trying to teach her how to get, she just gets tired. I said, my wife, is not to lay you, me too. Because we hear so much of it. Our life is just, our faith is about grab, grab, grab. The first thing faith does for you is helps you to please God. That's the first thing it does for you. It helps you to please God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That's the first thing faith does for you. It helps you to please God. It helps you to please God. And that's what, that's the first thing you must strive for. All the teachings of faith we have. You know, people have criticized the gospel of, um, the word of faith teachings. And they say it's a feel-good gospel. They said name it and claim it gospel. And they were angry. Those days, I used to be angry with them for being angry. But I grew up and I realized that, oh, wait, 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 wait. They had their justification for being angry. But maybe they carried it to an, extra, to an extreme. The truth is that there's a lot of truth in there. Fundamentally, that gospel is correct. I found out. 
from observation and analysis. What was wrong with it, or what is wrong with it, is what we use it for. I hope you're getting my point here. Is what we use it for. If I give you fertilizer, it's a chemical, right? And you, you get home, your wife said food is not enough for everybody. There are eight people in the house, and the beans can only go for three people. You now say, let's add fertilizer so that it will rise. Do you understand my point? You have misused what? <laughs> the fertilizer. It's a chemical. It's not harmful in itself if properly used. It belongs to the farm. We plant it with the beans on the farm, not the one in the pot. It doesn't make beans swell when you are cooking it. It helps it grow. Now, because somebody misused fertilizer, the fertilizer, and you are now having toxicity issues in the household, does not mean you will not take what? The fertilizer and say it's a useless chemical. No. It's a harmful chemical. It's not harmful. It was the unthinking human being that put it in the cooking pot, thinking you can make the beans swell. That's the problem. What I wanted to say. When faith was being taught, I realized the main problem of faith was what we used it for. The primary reason faith was given to us is to be able to walk with God. Not to get our Bentleys. The primary reason why faith was given to us is for us to look and say, I don't have cash with me, but my God will never fail. It is not to claim plenty cash, no. The first thing faith does is to help you live your life and not be worried. You've heard me say this, that before faith gives you money, faith will first teach you that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. Faith does not bring resources to a fretting human being. Somebody who cannot sleep because a neighbor bought a car. Someone will say, why me? Why me? Why not me? Why me? You know, comparing with other people. Your friend dedicates a new duplex. You can't sleep again. So you now go and pray for all night and start exercising your faith to get your own. Faith, if, if that thing comes to you, Satan has blessed you. If you know what I'm going to say. It's coming with that blessing into your house. The first thing faith does for you is that you will stand with your friend in front of his house, lift up your hands and thank God for his life. And go back home to your small rented two-bedroom flat and tell your wife, wow, have you seen this guy's house? Oh, God has been so good to him. And you rejoice, and in the midst of your rejoicing, you fall asleep. And you don't think anything. That is what faith does for you. Your mother now calls you and says, that guy, you know he's your cousin. He says, yes, Mama, I know. Home movie. Mama, I know. When are you going to build your own house? Then the last time, two of you are young men. Say, Mommy, running two different races. Remember the day I told, <laughs> I told you? My mother said, Ha, ah, your mates are living in their own houses now. I just answered without break. That is, before the word finished dropping, I had answered. I said, How many of them are teaching the word of God on radio? Why don't you go and meet my mates and say, Your, your friend is teaching the word on radio? Then let them go <laughs> and start their own radio program. They have not started their own radio program, so why should I be competing with them on what they have done with their lives? I hope you're getting my point. That's the first thing faith does for you. Faith puts your heart at rest. Faith will say to you, none of these things move me. Faith helps you understand that you cannot judge life from the physical dimension. But you know when we're taught faith, we said, ah, what do you use faith for? 
you go and draw the best car, you tell God the size of the tire. You tell God how you want the interior to be. You will say to God the kind of color you want it painted. You get a good artist to sketch it for you, use Photoshop to design it, and then you put it on your wall and you start looking at it every day. And you start calling it. You start calling it. You start calling it. Listen, that is not only not faith, it is covetousness. It's witchcraft. It is Hinduism. You are practicing, listen to me, you are practicing spiritualism, not spirituality. You are worshipping an idol. What should you do? You should write it on the wall. <laughs> he that controls his spirit is better than he that takes a city. Write that one on the wall. I have a calm spirit. I have a calm spirit. I'm not anxious. I'm not anxious. I have cast my burden upon the Lord. I know he cares for me. I'm not having any anxiety about anything. But with all prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I've allowed my need to be known to him. I've made my needs known to him. And the peace of God is now upon my heart. I feel as comfortable in an, you know, keke that I called and paid 500 naira a trip as a man who is sitting inside his Bentley and somebody is driving him. And that's not a joke. You really feel like that because comfort is in the soul. It's not outside. Comfort is inside you. Listen, people of God, that's the first thing faith does. Your faith is not working just because you sowed the seed of 5,000 naira and now you have 5 million naira. That's not, that's not working faith. The ability to give 5,000 naira and not remember you give is what faith does. Those who really do good works, they don't know what they are doing. Listen to me, they are, listen to what I want to say. Please, so that you can correct yourself. They are never concerned about what it produces for them. They are only concerned about whether it pleases God the Father or he doesn't. They are only concerned, is this what God sent me to do or it's not what he sent me to do? That's their only concern. How do I know? Jesus wanted to reward them. He said, because I was hungry and you fed me. They asked him, when were you hungry and we fed you? They didn't remember they did it. But you know what we have a lot, of, a lot these days? People have written down every time they fed anybody. Every time they fed somebody, they've written it down. With something in front of it, what it's supposed to produce. So when God says, you, I was hungry, you fed me. They say, ah, honey, check. Which, one of, which food did you eat that day? <laughs> they have a list. And for such people, listen to me, he never tells you that. He will never tell you that. If you're expecting the reward, you won't get it. As you're making the sacrifice, what you will get, what you're thinking of, forget it. That is the first thing faith does for you. A young man came to me once, said, he wanted to ask me a question after a church service. He said, these days when I give money, I realize I'm happy. So he said, is it normal? I mean, why should I be rejoicing like that? I said, do you brag about it to anybody? He said, no, sir. I said, do you use it to bargain with God when you want to make requests in prayer? He said, no. I said, the only thing is that if you do something good, Joy bubbles inside your heart. He said, yes. I gave him my hand. I said, congratulations, you are now saved. That's what I told him. I said, congrats, now you're a true Christian. The man was preaching. He said, I don't know about you. If I give, I'm not at rest until he produces. I said, you're not a giver. I said, okay, this is your gospel. I reject it in Jesus' name. 
I reject it. God, may I not be like that? May I not be like that? Listen, I said something last time. Let me pick it up from there. A lot of things we have done for a long time, God has overlooked. I'm giving you the word of the Spirit of God now. He said, repent. Or he's saying, repent. I am tired of Christians who only give because they want to collect. They are not my children. Using the word of the prophets. Who count for me what they have done so I might return it back to them in abundance. They are not. It is time to do what? To repent. So faith, when people taught faith, the problem with it was that we used it wrongly. We should have taken those same principles of faith and used them for eternal things. A man said to me once, he said, ha, people go to Meduguri to go and preach. You know, Boko Haram, you know, the, the center of that Boko Haram problem in Nigeria is where? Bono State. Meduguri be the state capital. He said, man of God, I'm not sure I will go if God asks me to go. And I laughed. I said, sir, don't worry, you will go. He said, ah, I'm not sure I will go. I said, don't worry, you will go. Why you can't go now is because he has not said to you, go. I said, if he says to you, go, the spirit to go will follow those words into your heart once you receive it by faith. What am I going to say? That is what faith does. Faith says, if he says, go, and I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will go. Not by my strength. But by faith, I will go. I hope you're getting my point. By faith, I lay down my life. By faith, I lay down my ambitions. By faith, I am not ashamed of what people call failure. By faith, now listen to this, because that's actually where I want to start from. By faith, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That is what faith is. You know, we live in a part of the world where people pride themselves a lot in their material acquisition. And December is showtime. You know what I'm going to say? Hey, listen. Listen, when you hear kidnapping, drug smuggling, and all of that, kidnapping is not the problem. Drug smuggling is not the problem. It's the desire of young men to be seen as successful. That's the sin. All this kidnapping, drug smuggling, and robbery, they are the fruits of that seed. The root, the deep root, the deep root. Ah, I, I was thinking about it. When Peter said to Simon that I perceive that you are still in a God of bitterness. You know what he was saying? Simon was already a Christian. He had believed um, who was preaching? Philip, thank you. He had believed Philip. He was baptized. He continued with them. And then when he saw the power of God manifested through the hands of, that is by the filling of the Holy Spirit now, of Peter and John, ah, he offered them money. And Peter said, your money perish with you. Now there's something that Peter said, which I want, to, I want to bring out. He said, you are still in the gall of bitterness. What am I going to say here? What was the reason? What was the problem with Simon? The problem with him was that he had not yet, he had been saved. He had given his life to Christ, but he had not yet recovered from that desire to be the man. Are you getting my point? To be the one that everybody came to. Don't forget, before that time, 
He was the man everybody came to. He was the great power of God. The TB Joshua of his time. Everybody wanted to touch the man of God. I hope you get what I'm going to say here. Then this man came and changed his life. And made him into what? Nothing. You must understand. All that attention left him. And shifted to who? Philip. Peter. And John. He was not carrying the briefcase. Of those men. The man said, a whole me in the boski. That was the problem. Now listen to me, believers. Listen to this carefully. He did not even realize it was there. Initially, you see, let me tell you something. After a while, your excitement at salvation will wear off. I don't know whether you're getting my point. The day you give your life to Christ, you'll be so excited. After two weeks, like us, chambers, we say, you will leave the mountain and come down to normal life. That God does not leave you hanging on the mountain. Transfiguration experience will vanish from your eyes. Let's build a, 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 let's build a tabernacle here. That's the day you give your life to Christ. Jesus said, no, 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 we're not building any tabernacle here. You are going to go back to normal life. That is when you not, listen, Paul said, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is when you start walking out. When the whole thing has come down, you now realize that I can't be an average person. Now I'm a Christian. Now listen to this. How do I get my prominence back? Then one Peter shows up. And he has the ability to transfer. You see, see, Peter had the ability to give it. He saw it. I can imagine Peter doing some of the things we do. We modern day preachers. Take it, you know, stone somebody with power. I've seen men of God do it. They literally, and I don't mean fake men of God, I mean real men of God. Tell the man, take it. They hit you with spiritual power, the power of God. You dive away 10 meters. One of my, my friends in this city, he said one day was praying for, he told me the person, but I'm not going to tell you, of course, a prominent Nigerian, you know, showbiz person in this city. He said he laid hands on the person. You know what happened? The fellow went into the air and flew backwards. When he opened his eyes, the guy's shoes were in front of him. The man was over there. He just, he just, he just opened his eyes and saw, ah, he saw shoes. <laughs> Where's the owner of the shoe? He was lying down, you know, in an instant. It was a case of, take it. We saw those in school those days. Simon said, no problem. You know how to give it, I know how to take it. What will it cost? <laughs> now, why Peter, listen, that's what I'm making. Peter said, you are sitting in the goal of bitterness. Something is still pushing you. Your father said, you will never amount to anything. He's still pushing you. That's what people don't understand. That, was when he, that is when he's supposed to start. And start, now you know we're talking about what faith is supposed to do. And that's it, by faith. By faith, I don't have to be prominent. By faith, I can be in obscurity and please God. By faith, even if I'm in a cave and nobody's watching me, as long as I'm doing the will of God, I'm happy. I don't have to go home to go and prove to anybody I've achieved anything. As long as God is pleased with my life, I'm good. I don't have to prove any point to anybody. The world cannot set a standard for me concerning how they measure success. That's supposed to be my first point for today. I reject it. 
the world will not set a standard for me. If my father thinks I'm a failure, too bad. As long as my heavenly father does not think I'm a failure. What is real success? Every day Christ is being manifested more and more in my life. Christ is being manifested more and more in my life. Am I making progress or am I not making progress? Peter said that these qualities are yours and are increasing. He focuses on that by faith. So showtime, no, we're talking about showtime. Showtime. People are, people are, shy. <laughs> this is what I'm saying before. A man buys a car, maybe around April, May. Doesn't drive it till December. Yet every day is washing it and waxing it. December, showtime. It was a nice car for its time. Drive it all the way to the village and pack it. They say, a maker has come. They now think he can talk when his elders are talking. One day I was talking to one of my senior colleagues, a professor. He said one day, he went to his village somewhere not too far from here. And now he's, a, he's an academician, you know, he's a professor. So the man said, so he drove a car, you know, nice ride, he parked it. So one boy from a trader, you know, rich trader, he came and said, ah, that wanted to mock him. He said, prof, do they still drive this kind of thing? And he too, he has his wit about him. He said, what did you call me? The boy said, prof. He said, thank you. And he kept walking. (laughs) (laughs) Do do you catch that? What I'm driving doesn't matter. The title I have, you don't have it. You get your sense of importance from your cash, from your money, from your house. Both of us are worldly. I get my own. (laughs) He gave it to the guy straight. I get my own from my title. Now, people of God, that's the question. Where do you get your own from? It is wrong to get it from your worldly possession. If you do that, God will look at you and say, Oh foolish Galatian. You cannot get it from anything that passes away. The title prof, you can't get it from it. And let me quickly add this. The title deacon is as useless. The title pastor is as bad. Bishop has no meaning. Formerly, bishops were what we call deacons now. If any man desires to be a bishop, they were, when you hear the word overseer of those days, they were overseeing food, money, building projects for the church, distribution of welfare. All the church activities were divided into parts, and whoever you put in charge, who as a rule was not a preacher, fundamentally, was called an overseer. You were not in charge of seven cities or 20 branches. So don't be impressed. All of them, that's the point I'm trying to make. Doesn't mean anything. Let me say something to you. Some people won't like it, but it's the truth. There are bishops that God will personally send to hellfire. Your title is not recognized. Don't fight for a title, whether human or church. You know what I'm mean? like? Don't think that if they promote me in church, Church titles mean nothing concerning the matter of your spirituality. doesn't mean anything at all. That young man was bragging in his material possession. The other man was bragging in his human title. 
we Christians will brag in only one thing. And not before men, no, before God. That we know him. That's why Paul said it like this. What am I pushing for? That I may know him. When we are giving thanks every day in my house, one of the things that my wife and I have taught the children to give thanks for is for the knowledge of God. That one comes first. We thank God for every other thing, for the moon, for the stars, for the house, for food, for clothes, for the bed, for everything, for family. But first of all, for eternal life, which Jesus said that they will know you. He said this is eternal life. Anyone that has eternal life must never feel inferior concerning anything. Once you have eternal life, see, you know I said something the other day? Those who have understood revelation to the extent that they could actually call invisible things into existence by their words. Why were they not calling material things? Because the deeper you go into the realm of the spirit, the less respect you have for those things. So when you have power to call them, you're not interested. That's why I gave the example the other day of my fried fish. Remember my fried fish fridge? And my fried meat fridge? When I was small, when it had to be given to me one at a time, I said, when I grow up, I'm going to buy a fridge. And I still remember very well. One layer will be fr- fried meat. And that layer will be fried fish. And a lot of other things can be added onto it. They Literally, I grew up to a point where I could afford the fridge, afford the meat, afford the fish, and afford the fryer. And you know what happened? I never bothered. Now, when my wife will give me food, I'll be counting how much of it that is. I can't eat all of this. Move this one back. Move this one back. I remember when I was young. I knew one man, rich man, used to come to my auntie's place those days. We used to talk about him. Well to do man. They say he ate once a day. I was confused. Why? You have money, you are eating once a day. When I become like you, I will eat all the time. <laughs> Why? Because as a young man, you're always hungry. Think about it now. From hostel to the class. To, to, to church, to, and all of it, on your feet. So you are perpetually hungry. Even if they fed you a mountain, it lasted two hours, you needed another hill. So you now see a man that's eating once a day. With the amount of money he had, I was confused. Then once we went to my, my wife's parents' place, they had a function that day. My friend Chooks and I, we drove one of our younger brothers, you know, our fellowship brethren. He came to visit Chooks in Enugu. So he said, oh, we are going to Benin. Come, let's all go. So enter entered the car. My wife, I think she had gone ahead. So when we arrived, my wife came, what are you guys going to eat? She brought food, then brought drinks, all kinds of drinks, put it on the table. Then Chooks and I looked at each other. I said, I'll drink the water. Chooks said, you two will drink water. So the malt they gave us, they wanted to take it away. That brother said, no, they should leave the malt there. So he finished his own and attacked our own. That's not the Jesus. The Jesus was at that day, Chooks and I looked at each other and said, yes, we have grown. <laughs> because that was us before. We realized that this is what we would have done. But now we have reached the point in which we look at the mirror in the morning, look at the stomach, 
you check in the bit, say, ah, this is not good. That is how it is with those who are spiritual. The more you climb into the realm of the spirit, the less these things people are fighting over. The less, it, it just doesn't impress you anymore. So when they are praying, say to the Lord, this year, I will build a bigger house. And you're looking at them, are you guys all right? What do you want to do with the house? Because you know a lot of rich people who have become big, then they have a big house and they're living in one small room downstairs. They can't even climb up anymore. So they say, God, in the name of Jesus. They're just looking at everybody like, are you guys normal? What am I say? That's what faith was supposed to do for us. But children taught faith to children. So you know what happened? They used their faith to buy the fridge, buy the fried meat, ate a bit of it, and realized that all was what? Vanity. Listen, people of God, back to what we're saying. Let me focus on my prophetic word. To those who teach, stop teaching childhood doctrine. That's what we began, we ended last time, remember? To those who teach the people of God, stop feeding them with childhood doctrine. This is a word from the Spirit. Stop feeding my people with childhood doctrine. Remember I said something the other time. Growth is in two dimensions. There is individual growth. Remember that? And then there is what? Corporate growth. Till we all come. Listen. The predominant teaching in the body is what decides the level of corporate growth we attain. Corporately, we went through the baby faith level in which everything we knew about faith was how to grab something. But God said, let us go higher to more important things. If corporately we go into higher things, even the new people that come into Christ, we rapidly jump those early steps and catch up. Nobody will be left behind. God knows how he will handle each person to rapidly get to where the whole body is. The sin, listen, the sin is when those who are preaching, who are leading, and listen to what I'm about to say. Listen carefully. God will help you to get this. If you're a minister, you've been there for a long time. I know what you were preaching. You said God gave it to you. But if you don't want me to retire you, ask for the current word that I'm giving. Because those who stick with the babyhood doctrine will find themselves no longer relevant in divine agenda. So you will have no choice but to retire them. He's not angry. You just need to be retired. God help me to, to explain this. Once a man who had heard so much about came to a city where I was to come and minister. I know the truth. He was preaching some of the things we learned those days as baby Christians. And I remember that day I sat down. I'd heard the name so much. I never really encountered him. I think I only encountered him, I encountered him once before that. So that day I got to the place where he was ministering. And they called him up to minister. There were a number of ministers that day. They had a program. When it was his turn, I was, you know, excitedly looking forward to him preaching. Then he began to read the scriptures. And of course, it's the word of God. always has life in it. Then when he began to preach, something dawned on me. 
He was treating me as if I was a baby. Now, not me alone now. But the message was such so baby. Ah, anything they give to Christ, they will give you. You will eat this and that. And it was going on and on. I realized that we were all bored. I was bored. My neighbors were bored. The host was bored. And he was excited. And I looked like, ah, excuse me. I felt bad though. I won't lie to you. In fact, there are people that, listen, you can preach the same general truth, but increase in spirituality. Like I, I was talking about faith. We talked about faith. Those early days is claim food. I still remember we stand in hosted and be calling come to come from across the road. We believe in God for biscuits. That was the application of faith. But the same principles of faith now, we lift it up to claim nations for God. Like when I was telling you, I told the man, if God wants you to go to Meduguri, you will go. His spirit will enter into you and set you on your way. By faith, you will receive strength to go. Same principle of faith. Same principle of faith is confession. What do you see? I see myself doing the will of God. I see myself on the cross with Christ. And I'm, and I'm willing to go through the cross that I may be with him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I see myself able to count all these things but dung. I can walk away from these material things. Oh, I consider the testimony of John Graham Lake who walked away from everything. I consider those testimonies. The same faith. The same faith. I lay down. I lay down in the name of Jesus. None of these things move me. Faith. But with a different, listen to this, with a different and sanctified motive. That's what they call sanctification. Sanctification is a purpose you are using that divine principle to serve. That did the man ministered. I remember I felt very bad. And I realized if they call me again, there's ministering somewhere. It won't be worth me getting up from my bed. I just realized that this, it wouldn't be worth me getting up from my bed. There were things they said to us those days. You are the son of God. You are the son of God. And we got excited. Now when he said, I'm the son of God. I'm looking at you so. The son laid down his glory. What is all this noise you are making for me? The real son, he laid down the glory. And became obedient like a servant, even to the point of death. Teach me what it means to be a servant, please. Excuse me. Don't put this arrogance into my head. That I become too big to serve. The son sat down, took a towel, and did what the lowest... Many of us think it's just feet washing. If feet wash, you wash. You know, that's how to release anointing. When Jesus did, he was not releasing any anointing. He was showing them something. In every household, those days, they were servants, or what you call slaves. Proper were born slaves. Big households. They came in categories. They were servants like Eliezer of Damascus. Who held the checkbook? Who had the bank token? Who could sign on Abraham's behalf and withdraw any amount of money? A servant born in his house. That's what Abraham said concerning Eliezer. There were servants like that. There were servants who carried gold and silver. Who the sons in the house obeyed. 
Isaac and Eliezer were not made in hierarchy in the house when it came to practical things. Master, you can't go out today. It's a final word. Only Abraham could overturn it. Oh, little master, you'll be following us to the field. Isaac will get dressed. There were servants like that. And they were in you know, levels, cadres, until you got to the lowest servant. What was the lowest servant? The one that washed the feet of visitors when they came in. The master when he returns from the field. Other workers. That was what John was referring to when he said, I am not worthy to losing the tongues of his sandals. He was saying that at where Jesus is, I'm even lower than the lowest of servants in the house. So when Jesus went down that day, and took off his garment, took a towel, girded himself. You understand what he was doing. That's why Peter was embarrassed. Sir, what are you talking about? Wash my feet? You must be joking. Jesus went down to the lowest level they had in that society for decent people. That was, that was, that's what we're talking about. So when you come to me now and be bragging on my sonship, I'm not saying it's bad. It was good when I was a child. And I realize that any son that's not serving is going to be prodigal. So if somebody's preaching, say, hey, son, son, son. I say, bros, thank you for sonship. But it doesn't get us to where we are supposed to go. The son, when he wanted to get to where God wanted him to get to, he took on the garment of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death. Even the death on the cross. God did not exalt him because he was bragging on sonship. God exalted him because he stood down so low until he was not only crucified, that he was not only killed, he was killed in a manner as if he was a criminal because that was what pleased the father. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Many of our doctrines are doctrines of childhood. And not doctrines of maturity. Easy to carry to extremes. As a, as a son of God, I can't drive this kind of car. Yes, I agree with you. But as a servant of God, you can trek. What's wrong with you? There is no sonship. There is no effective strong sonship except it is bound with servanthood. There's none. There's none. Read your Bible. See, Jesus always told us stories about sons. Says a man had two sons. He said to the first one, Go to the field and walk today. And that one said he will go. He did not go. Then the second one came. The father said to him, Go, walk today. And he said he will not go. Afterwards, he repented and went. And Jesus said, Which one did the will of the father? The thing about being a son is that you use the power of sonship to do the will. Of the father. And that man had two sons. Both of them sons. The younger one came one day and said, give me my inheritance. I'm a son. So the father gave it to him. And he wasted it. He wasted it. For him to be able to return to the house, he had to drink the spirit of servanthood. Because they leave him. We will teach him a lesson. He wasted his sonship. And God liked it like that. 
It's as if he doesn't, he won't appreciate what it means to be a servant. Then when, as a son, hunger wanted to kill him, he looked back and said, ah, in my father's house, even servants don't suffer like this. You know what brought him back? People say, ah, the love of the father, I, I know. But don't forget one thing. When he got there, he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. He said, make me as one of your hired because I'm telling you, I don't belong in this house anymore. Just hire me as a servant. The father said, don't worry. I'm putting my own words now. Don't worry. It's okay. You've learned the lesson. Now come back into the house and learn to serve. Only sons that serve endure. How do I know? The older brother came and said to the father, all of these days I have what? Served you. He was angry for certain reasons, but we're not discussing him now. What I want to bring out is the fact that Serving the father was what kept him in the house where he was a true son. Who's our example? Isn't that Jesus Christ? What did he do with sonship? What did he do with it? He emptied himself, became obedient, obedient as a servant, even to the point of death. Then God could exalt him. I'm talking to preachers. Preach the gospel that has to do with maturity. Stop keeping this church of God down as babies. God will retire you if you don't stop. Let me give you that word again. So you know I'm not just speaking. The Lord will retire you if you don't stop. If because of your teaching, the people of God will not transcend the level of babyhood and come up to maturity, the Lord will retire you. The Lord will retire you from ministry. He will. He has to. He has to. He can't just because of you. Don't forget. He's coming for this body. And he's perfecting them with the washing of water by the word. You cannot put yourself as an obstruction between him and the doctrine of perfection. You can't. Don't do that. Don't try to. He's going to retire many. The Lord will retire many. Let me tell you something. You know, Antichrist, we look at it as opposition to Christ. Well, it's in opposition to Christ, but most importantly, actually, the definition means in the place of Christ. Anything that takes the eyes of people away from Christ and focuses it somewhere else, like itself, is Antichrist, an Antichrist spirit. What am I saying? Many of our denominations today have an Antichrist spirit. Do you know, people still think the blessing of Papa is more important than obedience to the word. They can be confused in their believing. However, you are held responsible if you don't stand up on Sunday, midweek service, different avenue, and say to them, it's not so. One of the things we used to say, we do the Lord in Christianity. The God of our Father, our Father in the Lord, Archbishop Okemute. You know, we say it, and we, we joke about it. We give God the glory. But, please, drop it. It's not a good title. Even if God is using that person to describe himself, you don't use it. Don't let anybody use it for you. Don't say, don't tell anybody, God or Pastor Banky, leave it. You know why? 
Paul didn't use that kind of title. He didn't encourage it. He kept on introducing it like this, him like this. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You must understand something about God. Let me tell you something about God in this generation. The title God is not as important to what he's doing now. It's not as important as the name of his son, Jesus Christ. I know what I'm saying. You know why? He said the way everything will be subject to me is if it is subject to the son. So everybody calls God. He's not impressed. What impresses him is that people come in Christ Jesus. So if you say the God of Pastor Banky, you have reduced Christ in their eyes. We know what you mean. What you mean. But even though we know what you mean, please, it's not a good mean. <laughs> My wife says I invent words once in a while. <laughs> Find something else. I thank God for the life of his servant, Bishop Okemute, who the Lord helped us and he taught us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Shift, shift. Do you get my point? Thank God for the life of his servant. You see the way we, we dismissed him? His servant, servant. You get the point? We quickly let everybody know he's a servant of somebody. One ranchman, they sent you somewhere. No, be you. They sent you. Life of a servant, they will give him the glory. Paul was careful, even though he knew this was his God. When he wanted to talk about God, he said, God, whose I am, I belong to him, whom I serve. When he wanted to describe him, even Peter, you've heard of Jesus Christ, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. The focus always on Jesus. The focus always on Jesus. The focus always on Jesus. Don't struggle with him for his title. Everybody's calling you Papa, Papa, Father, Father. After a while, tell them, stop this nonsense. Jesus no man, no man should call you Father. There are titles we lost in the body of Christ we need to regain. Brother. One of our brothers wrote, when we were in school, wrote a, um, a letter to one big Nigerian pastor and wrote, brother, I know it's not Okimuti, but it's the only one I can bash here. You're get my point. So, he wrote, brother, Okimuti on it. So all of us look and say, you're not here. You won't read it. We said, the, 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 the man of God won't read Don't you know his title? Now, whether we're right or wrong, I don't know. But we just said, he won't read it. How can you bring him down to that level? That was the impression he gave us of himself. Like I said, maybe we were wrong. But that was the impression he gave. I want to say something here. You know, unconsciously we teach the people of God that our blessing, that is, as a pastor, if I bless you, it is more important than you obeying the word of God and walking in it. It's, you know, it's subtle. It's subtle. We just, we just push it in subtly to people. What am I saying? The Lord says, enough. Don't let people focus on you so much. 
their eyes leave the Lord Jesus Christ. When they are just meeting you, meeting him, good, you attract them. As soon as they come to you, direct them to him. As soon as they get to you, direct them. Do it like that, Prof. Well, um, what's his name? Neville Johnson. He said the, the angel, in quotes, that took John around in Revelation was not the angel the way, an angel the way you know it. The same thing um, Sadhu said. That it was one of the old prophets. That was why, now, this is I'm talking about it. When John bowed down to worship, he said, no, don't do that. I'm one of your fellow servants. Forget the fact that I'm in this realm. I've seen greater things than you have seen. Oh boy, we are both servants. So We are both servants. We need to teach it to the body of Christ. We need to. We need to. And I, I feel so strong. The Spirit is saying, you have to start that again. There are too many of you who are taking the attention of the people of God away from Christ and putting it on themselves. Do you know, pastors actually say things like, I am the cover over your head. It sounds very, you know, but these are Babala word things. And I've heard of pastors threatening members with removal of the cover. The way you are going, I will remove the cover over your head. Don't say that again. You know, I'm directing my message mostly to preachers. Stop saying that. You are not the cover on the, over anybody's head. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow, the cover of the Almighty. And by the way, stop taking jobs that you can't do. Do you hear what I said? When they call you cover, over a thousand people. Bros, it's called premature death loading. It's loading, it's loading. You are covering the number of people, don't worry. They will stretch you from Calabar all the way, <laughs> all the way to Medugori. You will snap in Abuja, boom! Your gut, yeah, you get the point. We pour all over my tama. That is when they stretch you. You miss that cover. You can't cover anybody. Stop that nonsense. Teach them how to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. So they can abide under the cover of the Almighty. Then you too, you can say, bros, shoot for me. Let's both stay here. Say, man of God, cover us. Say, who shall cover me if I cover you? Come on, shift. Let's both. Okay, I know how to collect the lost cover. Can I teach you that? Sit down. Say after me. I will see of the Lord. He's my refuge, my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Yeah, declare after me. Two of us will start declaring. After, after a while, she have taught you how to declare. Oh boy, cover yourself with the Lord. Though. Because if you cover yourself with me, the day I sin, you will die, I will survive. No, I don't want to teach on that now. If you use somebody else to cover yourself, when they start sinning, I the one that will die first. It takes a long time for the plague to enter Jerusalem. I pray you understand what I've just said. When David sinned, all those who were hiding under David, 70,000 of them died. It had not reached his house. It had not reached his house. Cover yourself in Christ. And pastor, don't teach them that you are the cover because you are not. 
Don't threaten anybody. You withdraw the cover of his head. You can't, you can't, you can't withdraw it. You are not his cover. You are not their cover. You are all brethren. You pray with them. You pray for them. You expose everyone to Christ. That is your primary duty. The Lord is good. So everything that stands between Christ and people seeing him directly is Antichrist. Even if you gather them in the name of Christ, it's still Antichrist. It is still Antichrist. It is still Antichrist. What am I preaching? Get out of the way. Let them see Christ properly. Stand with them and point and say, Behold your God. I hope you're getting my point. Stand with them and point to him. Behold your God. Let's see the particular portion of the scriptures. By the message of God, I intend to finish this today. But let's see how far we go. Like I said, what God wants us to do is to move on to things that have to do with maturity, to go to deeper truths, to go to higher levels. And I ended the last time by pointing out three areas, which incidentally, as I was preaching now, I found out that I had already taught two of them. Even though I will repeat myself a bit, I found that I've already taught two of them. Three important areas where we must refine our doctrine as a church. We must come communally in growth to a higher level. Three important areas. And two of them we've already discussed. Number one, we must redefine what success is. There are so many things we preach. But while meditating about this, I felt that these are the three important areas that God wants the leadership of the church in this generation to get correctly. Number one, we must redefine what success is. It is so important. Now, for time's sake, I have a number of scriptures I will have led us to read, but from time's let's just take one. Let's be that we read this one. Okay? Second Timothy chapter 4. From verse 1, Paul was writing to Timothy. He said, I solemnly charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. That is, I charge you by Christ, I charge you by his appearing and his kingdom, to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He now said in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I bring you a word from the Spirit of God today. 
Listen to me. We must correct ourselves in our doctrines in these three areas. One, our definition of success. Number two, the center of our messages. And number three, the focus of believers. Now, I'll expand each one of them for the rest of the time that I have. Now, why did I read this? Paul explained something here. It was written to Timothy that Timothy should be careful to preach sound doctrine. Why was he telling him that? I say all the time that people will not, that is God will not command you except there's a risk to do the opposite of what he's commanding concerning. I hope you're getting my point here. So why did he say that to Timothy? It is simple. Because the other time I talked about why people preach doctrines that are not correct. There are a number of reasons. Let me just rush through a few of them. I thought about some of them, put them down. I've already established, it brings money. It's called mammon. It brings money. We want to have enough money both to survive and to, according to us, do the work of the ministry. Like one man said that, well, they say we're always talking about money. He said, what are we doing with the money? It's not to preach. So that justifies it. That's one reason why we preach wrong doctrines. And that reason why we preach wrong doctrines is because it grows the ministry. More people come. If you preach what is not, what is not true sometimes, or some things that are half truth, people will come to hear you. And then when you preach the opposite or preach the complete truth, sometimes you lose members. Because people don't want to hear the truth. And it's not, listen, that's why, I, listen, don't ever count the number of members in your church as a sign of success. I said we should redefine success. Let me quickly sit on that. Don't ever, as a minister, count the number of members of your church as a sign of success. It says nothing about whether you are successful or not. You know, I said, I used to say, I've not said in a long time, that where Kingdom World, we kept increasing the number and all of that, left where we were before. And all, so I'm not saying growth is, an, is, is a sin. But I used to say, where we were before, I said, if I wanted it to be that nobody would have space to come in here, eh? I know the doctrine to twist. Just say this year, anybody that says he will not prosper. We are going to call fire. Everybody say fire. fire. See those things that cause gyration. Listen. Let me give an example. If you go to, when I was a young boy, we went to Orthodox churches a lot, you know. Catholic, I grew up in the Catholic church. as a little boy before I went to university. Then, of course, we had avenues to go to a lot of Anglican churches and stuff like that. You know, all the time we were young, there was a way Catholic priests preached. Anglican priests, was the way they preached. In recent times, I began to see some funny things with even Catholic priests. They start teaching, they start doing dream analysis. Pursuing spirit of Unkubus and Sukubus. You know, all those things we saw with some, some of our brethren, not saying whether it's good or bad now. I suddenly found them, Catholic priests do them, Anglican priests do them. I said, what is going on? Some of them are not based on truth. Then I now got closer. I realized that the people said to themselves, this is why our members follow those Pentecostal people. So what do we do? We'll go and bring the thing they are looking for there and bring it home. One of our brothers went to an Anglican priest. They're in the same church. That is like the same communion. I said, why are you preaching this thing you are preaching? The man began to preach tithes, first fruits, all those 
you know, money, money things. I said, is this are not standard doctrines we have here? Redeem your firstborn and all those things. You know what the priest said to him? That they are carrying their money to the Pentecostal churches. You know, human beings like Wabalao. You know they call Wabalao? Okay, let's use Pentecostal words. They like their own prophet. Who's their prophet? The fellow they pay and pronounces a blessing. We all like it. An average person likes it. You want to feel secure. Like somebody told my wife once, ah, that my husband has found one powerful prophet. So regularly he sends the prophet money and he can rest knowing that the man is firing prayers for him. In case you are reading like that, you know you are confused, you and the prophet, you are going to the same place, confusion. Confusion. Satan is going to make mincemeat of your, of your life. So the man dutifully gives. Now, that's what I call the babalao phenomenon. Babang bejo. Ah, there are some doctors that are very, you know, it's only people in western Nigeria that will understand it. All this, you guys don't understand it in Enugu here. You know, you have one babalao that's cooking something for you regularly. People like it. So you see one big politician has gone for political office. He has gathered his babalaos. They are releasing incantation for him. So when we come to Christianity, we come with that thing also. Who is my babalao? That is the pillar behind my fence. We bring it to Christianity. A lot of us preachers, we take advantage of it. So what happens is a lot of those Christians... Because they are not being built up in the true knowledge of Christ. They get swayed when they find a Christian Babalao somewhere. So they come to maybe an Anglican church. Then go to the Pentecostal man that does meetings Friday nights. Pronouncing blessing and collecting the payment for the blessings. So this priest said, okay, you people think you have sense, eh? we too will have sense. They went and listened to what he was preaching. Then brought it to their church on Sunday. They now said, let's retrieve the offerings of the people. The man confessed to. I'm not saying he, he confessed that our people are carrying these monies to those people. We need to collect it for the church. So he modified his doctrine. He doesn't, he's not collecting it for himself. But let me tell you the truth. It is still iniquity. That was why Paul wrote to Timothy. And that's why I'm charging you today, minister of the gospel. He said to him, Listen, I exhort you, preach the word. Don't preach tradition. He said to him, people will come not wanting to hear the sound doctrine. They want somebody who will tickle their ears and say, well, I'm not prospering. It's because my grandmother is a witch. And when I first married my wife, I allowed my wife to go and visit my grandmother. So she initiated, you know, my, my wife. So that's why I drove my wife away. And I'm going to marry an angel because she's a witch. Listen, tell the man something's wrong with you. He won't come back to your church. But tell him this year the witch will die. If you want, sow a seed for the death of the witch in your house. The boy, the foolish boy wants his grandmother to die. And he particularly wants his wife to die so he can quickly marry the Cinderella that he just found. And if you tell him anything differently, he's leaving the church. It's called itching ears. If you dare preach self-denial and you don't preach quick results, 
They go somewhere else. That was why Paul had to write to Timothy. Preach the word. People, will, he said, the time will come, and he was talking to Timothy, that is going to happen in your church. A season will come, they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. You know what we have these days? If churches want to grow, especially young churches, we start teaching young men and young women how to blow. Strategies for business success. Come to church and preach self-denial for six months. Listen to me. The church will go down in number. Listen, like I said, it's correction we are bringing to those who minister. Those that did not send you into ministry, into the world, cannot decide what to preach. You know the way I am? God has helped me with that one. I've been to only two or three places in my life where they tried to insist I preach in a particular way. One of them, they, was, they were even nice about it. Once I went to preach somewhere, they said I didn't stay on the topic. I said, tell them not to invite me again. And of course, me, me and them would don't talk again. And that church I went to, I, I, I know, for that, they one of my two brothers that came to talk to me, that the elder said, I said, listen, nobody has ever told me what to preach. You either believe in my gift or you don't. If you brought me here, I will preach what I want to preach. If you don't like it, when we are over, just don't call me again. There was another church I went to, one of the good people, that I'm not saying this negatively. So the brother just approached me and said that they've been blessed by what I preach and everything, but what I can just encourage people small. I said, no, I'm not encouraging anybody. I told him straight, I'm not encouraging anybody. He said, you know, sometimes people have made sacrifices. I just need to let them know there's reward. I said, I'm not going to let anybody there's reward. No, I told him, I said, I'm sorry. I'm not going to encourage anybody. You know, right now, do I look like an encourager? I don't want to encourage anybody. I think we are too encouraged. Yeah. <laughs> we don't fear God anymore. I said to the brother, he meant well, good brother, good. But I said to him, and let me tell you something, preachers. Don't try and do the work of the Holy Spirit for him. Just preach the truth and go. The way the word works and is powerful. There's a story I tell once in a while. In fact, there's so many stories. But this one, what I like about it is that it happened when I was an inexperienced. I think I was still a teenager. I don't think I'd hit 20 years of age that time. Because as a teenager, I was the president of my campus fellowship. This sister came to me after fellowship. I don't know whether I was already being called Pastor Banky that time or Brother Banky, I don't know. But then we just said, uh, Pastor, Brother, whatever I said, Banky, please pray for me. I said, what is it? And, you know, you see her eyes were red. She had, you know, this young woman had been crying. That she just got news from her department that she's going to be withdrawn from the department. This is a university. Ha. What could I do? Out of confusion, of course, fellowship just ended. I was attending to some things. I was a man in charge. I just told her, please, write your room number for me. I'll come, I'll look for time to come and see you during the week. So she wrote it. I don't know whether I gave her a day, but anyway, that particular day, I remembered and I went. I still remember it was as if she was waiting for me to come. When I came, I brought out my Bible. You know the truth? I didn't know what to say. We are both students. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They want to withdraw you. If you said that you have not eaten, she'll be I'll gather a few brothers and sisters. Say, please, everybody contribute small, small money. Let's help one of our sisters. This one is 
matter for the professors, the heads of departments, and the lecturers. I'm one of your brethren going through the same affliction, if you know what I'm going to say. I prayed for communion. I remember that I prayed. God, what do I tell this young lady? I just got there. Now, why I like the story is that I said nothing about the department. I said nothing about how to read. I said nothing about academics. I just got there and started preaching the word of God. In Christ Jesus, we are this. God has done this for us. I was just talking, oh, no, 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 I remember that I was anointed. I was just sharing the word, sharing the word. And as I was speaking, the Bible says they looked to him and they were lightened and their faces were no longer ashamed. I still remember very well. Somebody who had been crying, dejected, and been sad. As I was speaking, she was getting lighter and lighter. On, by the time I was leaving, she couldn't stop laughing. As she was seeing me off, she was just full of joy. And I forgot about it. Then in that same position I stood when she talked to me some weeks before. Finally, she there one day again, and then she walked up to me. Said she wanted to give me an update. Oh, yeah, that matter. How far? She said, this is the update. The dean said this, that all she needs to do now is to, re- if she can retake this course, retain this course, and do this and this, that if she succeeds in doing that, they will allow her to stay back in the department. And at this time, of course, she was very happy that that problem had been solved. And again, I thanked God, I worshipped God, and she left, and I was wondering, God, thank you very much. Thank you very much, because I offered, God is my witness, I offered no word of advice. I didn't say this is what you will now do. Nothing. I just shared the word with her and left and forgot. Not as if I left and I began to declare, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you will not be withdrawn. I forgot. Until that day she came and told me to, that she wanted to give me an update. I don't think I gave her a second thought. No, I wasn't being wicked. Though. God just wanted to do his work while I was not scattering anything. Maybe if I've been asking every day, so what did he say? Have you gone to see Professor so-and-so? And so? Did you tell your father to call so-and-so? And so? Maybe that's what I've been doing. I didn't remember. Just declare the word. Don't try and get results for anybody. Let nobody try and decide what you will preach. I'm, preaching to, you know, I'm talking to preachers because they tailor their messages to what pleases people. No, that has to stop. So Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, a time will come, people will no longer endure sound doctrine. But what should you do? You preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Like I was saying, please teach the people what real success is. Teach them what real success is. What is real success? It is not these material things. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. You, pastor yourself, success is not that your church is now big, you are now having three services on Sunday. You can now afford programs of millions of naira. For some people, that is a sign that they have walked out of the will of God. Once I went to minister somewhere, and the host, a young man, I met his father, an elderly Christian, about 80 years of age. So we're speaking that day. I was just going to the father. So he was just telling me history of, of course, those days before our days. And he mentioned a prominent Nigerian minister. And he mentioned another 
You know, a very senior Christian who discipled all of them, including him. And he said, the day that man opened his church, the senior man who discipled them said, this man has walked away from the will of God for his life. I've been to that church. Big church. Membership, you're counting tens of thousands. International fame and everything. And the old man said, the day he started this church, he walked away from the plan of God for his life. So please, don't judge your success by the size of your ministry. I don't want to spend time teaching that in details. Don't. What is success? If, qual- if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. The first sign of success for the believer is that the qualities of Christ are in you and they are increasing. You are not as grabby of ethnic things as you used to be. You are not as fearful for your destiny as you used to be. You are not as quarrelsome as you used to be. You are not as short-tempered as you used to be. You don't worry as you used to worry. These qualities, faithfulness, self-control, you understand? You know, knowledge, humility, they are increasing in you every day. That's when you are succeeding. Another thing we should never forget, our reward is in heaven, no? It's not on this earth. I don't know how much of this I have time to, my time has really gone. Your reward is in heaven. It's not on this earth. It's not like you will do ministry up to a point in time that you will now, you will now blow. If you blow, you may just explode. If you know, are you getting my point? I'm telling you, blow now, blow. Explosion is blow. Live on this earth as if your reward will not come on this earth. That's one thing I want to all, all Christians who must understand it. We like to give Joseph as an example. What about Moses? Did you forget Moses? Did you forget Paul? What about our Lord Jesus Christ? His reward, was it on this earth? It wasn't. His service to God was the ultimate sacrifice. Which he did only for us because God highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every other name. Let me ask a question. Was he higher than the name that he had before? Did we not read that he existed in equality with God before then? So when God highly exalted him, did he exalt him above himself? So what did he gain? I'll tell you, personally, personally, nothing. But when you have learned to derive joy from the progress of other people, you cannot see what he gained. He said he will see the result of the travail of his soul and he will be glad. When he saw what his humbling brought, is the reason why you and I are sitting down here today. Free, we are not slaves. Able to have the image of God built in reality into us. Able to reflect God on this earth. Becoming a copy of Jesus on this earth. He saw that that has been made possible and he was glad. Listen, let's teach the people of God again. To be heavenly minded, their reward is not on this earth. Anything God gives you on this earth is an additional provision for function. Did you hear what I said? Anything he gives you on this earth is additional provision for function. I have a lot of things I have to do. The other day I was praying. 
What would, if God says I should do? Anyway, let me not give you details of my prayer. It's like the Lord and I were talking. But one of the things I said to the Lord is, is an important prayer we should all pray. Lord, bless my children. Now, when I say children now, I don't just mean this physical, I don't mean like you look being a victory and go alone. No. That Lord, you have put your words in my mouth. There are people who pay attention. Anytime I'm speaking, bless them. I found a scripture for it. It said, the Lord will save your children. And that night as I prayed, I realized what he was saying. Listen, I'm getting to a point in the, uh, right now. Eh? I find nothing personally desirable on this earth anymore. Apart from the work that he has committed us to do. Can't measure my wealth in houses. Why do I need a house? Because I have to raise the children he has given to me. I have to have a place for them. People need to be able to pass through town and say, Ah, thank you, I'm coming to see you. And he has a place to stay. You know, every material blessing is an additional provision for the assignment that he has given us to do. Our reward, really, my people, is in heaven. It's in heaven. If God will allow me, I think I'll continue this next time. Maybe I may leave it. Because a very important thing, I said somewhere along the line, preachers learn to preach Christ-centered messages. There's a reason why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever seen a man arrive say, I'm not ashamed of my Bentley? I arrive. I came with the latest model G-Class. And I tell you, I'm not ashamed of my Mercedes Benz. You won't just say, hey, Pastor, what is there to be ashamed of? <laughs> Don't know how you're going to laugh. Maybe you help me bring my bag, and the bag falls, and $3,000 pours out of the bag. And I say, I'm not ashamed of my dollars. Why would I say that? Do you know when we start preaching, I'm not ashamed? When there's cause for shame. You know when we start preaching, I'm not ashamed? When what you are saying to those who have intelligence does not make sense. Do you know what I start, when you start preaching, I'm not ashamed? When I say, why is Nigeria having economic problems, tribal conflicts, and all of that? And you say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, my friend, have you not been to the Nigeria Institute for Policy and Strategic Studies? A man, MNI, who has been there, he comes and says, what nonsense are you saying? Those of us who are members of the National Institute, let us tell you how to solve intra-tribal conflicts. Like that man who went to United Nations, that is the pastor who was giving the testimony. He talked about the problems of this earth. He said, I give you Jesus Christ. Idiot. Fool. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That is what the world will think. Bill Gates is putting billions into healthcare. You are talking about I give you Jesus Christ. That was what Paul meant when I said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What am I telling you? Many of us are ashamed of preaching it the way it is. We like to sugarcoat it to make ourselves look relevant in the contemporary society. We quote it in such a manner to reduce Jesus and bring out the wisdom that he has given. I, I don't know where I get my point. We reduce the person, but we want to use his wisdom. I've seen movements developed around diminishing the person the person of Jesus, 
but promoting the wisdom that he has. He doesn't accept that. Once I heard the prince teaching, even me as a believer, I said, oh, God, you are not making sense. Now, what I'm trying to say is this. He was preaching on radio. His radio broadcast, remember, was covering half of the globe on a daily basis at a particular point in time. And he says he was a philosopher. And he was searching for truth. He said, now I have found truth. And truth is a person. I said, excuse me, sir, you have not explained. Even me, a Christian, I was like, sir. He said, truth is a person. And the name of truth is Jesus Christ. And that's the end of the broadcast. Does that make sense? I'll tell you the truth. It does not make sense. That is why Paul had to say, yes, I know it doesn't make sense. But I'm not ashamed of it. Once, I didn't realize how shameful it was. I'm a consultant in a teaching hospital. A busload of our students had an accident. I think one died on the spot. One broke the back. One head was smashed. And they told me I rushed to the intensive care unit. And I took my C-Max hand and I began to lay hands on six students. I had finished before I realized how mad I looked. And I would go to one bed where they are pumping somebody or doing this. Me and I would just, I would just grab the person's leg and begin to pray. I went one Two, three. I just came and said, excuse me, ma. I want to pray for these people. It's a teaching intensive care unit. That's why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm living a world with preachers today. Don't be ashamed. Get up, preach it the way it is. Don't worry about how you will solve his problems. Listen to me. As, a, as ministers of the gospel, remember, they said there are three areas I believe the Holy Spirit wanted us to re- rebuke ourselves, correct ourselves concerning Number one, what is success? Sometimes we are not telling the people of God success is money, 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 money. But the way we preach, it's as if it's money. It's suggestive. The testimonies are financial. We talk about the times of our struggle and compare it with our time of material prosperity now. So people start saying things, I know I'm struggling now, but remind the people of God, to be heavenly minded. Let's read this particular scripture. I'm still going to close, you know, in a few minutes. Colossians chapter 3. Did you, have you read that? Colossians chapter 3. From verse 1 it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Why did I read that? Because Paul is teaching us here to keep seeking the things that are above. Believers must remember Our citizenship is in heaven. Material success. And let me quickly add this on to it. We're talking about defining success. One day, we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What is success? Every believer must realize that one day he's going to appear, she's going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Prepare yourself for that day on a daily basis. Hmm. You know, um, was it yesterday? Pastor Roger was saying something. Yesterday was his 23rd anniversary of 
ministry in Sokoto. And I still remember when he told me he was going to go to Sokoto, which meant we had that conversation a little over 23 years ago. And of course, like he said himself, that if I were to look at it, if he didn't tell me, I would think it's just about 15 years or 12 years, something like that. He said, it's just that there are records. And I look at my children. Of course, he got married after he had reached Sokoto. And he knows that he's been... He said, look, the point I'm making is that it doesn't look like 23 years. And I said something. I said, everybody, pay attention. It means the next 23 years will also pass like that. Are you getting my point? We look over the last 23 years. You know, sometimes when I tell people that this year we mark the 20th year I've been living in Enugu. Even me, I can't believe it. In a few months, it'll be 20 years. You know, when I say it, it's unbelievable. Sometimes I look at my wife, I joke, I say, you may have known you for over 20 years. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that. Now, that's the hindsight. I said, in the same manner, the next 20 years will count. In the same manner, the next 100 years will count. No matter how long we have to live on this earth, one day we have to exit. Don't live as if you are going to live here forever. And preachers, stop preaching to your people as if they will. And let's say it again. You know, it's obvious, but we seem to forget. When you die, you will leave your house behind. (laughs) When you die, you will leave your cars behind. Some people, the banks are making money because they are the only ones that have the password and codes and keys to the accounts. They kept the millions and millions and millions. And they died. Their wives did not know. Their children did not know. The bank won't claim the money, but they'll be trading with it regularly. It's part of their... Is it capital business, we call it? Money just there. Like one, one, one joke was cracked. That one man, when he died, he gave... He gave three men, his lawyer, his doctor, and the priest, a lot of money to please so that he wants to take it to heaven. After he dies, they should help him send it to heaven. So one of them... So anyway, after the man's burial, they were now confessing to each other. One said, let me confess. So. The money that the man said we should send, I didn't send anything at all. Though. I kept it because I didn't know how to send it to him in heaven. That was ah, the doctor, okay, that was a pastor. The doctor looked and said, Pastor, how can you be this, you know, um, dishonest? Well, I did better than you. I put half of the money inside the casket. The lawyer looked at the two of them and said, Very wicked people. Me, I wrote him a check for the full amount. I put the check in the casket. (laughs) Of course, the man couldn't take anything to heaven. You know those days, the, the pharaohs, they buried them with gold and silver and servants to escort them into the afterlife. You know what we found? All of them are inside the tomb. 2,000 years later, we are digging the tomb and finding the gold. Nobody takes anything anywhere. Nobody takes anything anywhere. We can preach it, we can all agree, but why do we live as if we will? You know what we can take somewhere? I'll tell you. The character of God that was built into us. The faithfulness that we demonstrated in the things he placed in our hands. We can take that somewhere. We can take that one somewhere. And one day, he's going to ask, the work I gave you to do. You know, sometimes I look at people, they are making decisions. I say, do you realize somebody sent you here? 
When you are running up and down because of what we shall eat, what we shall drink. Do you realize that somebody sent you on an errand? And one day you are going to sit literally before him. I like one thing he said. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it is good or bad. All of us must appear. So Paul said, what did I do? He said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. What's the ministry? To testify, you know, he said to testify the gospel of the grace of Christ. He said to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. Let's never forget that. God is going to judge us one day. Christ Jesus will sit down. And we stand before him and he will analyze what I told you to do. Did you do it? He will not ask you which house did you live in. Remember, <laughs> what God calls wealth is not what we call wealth. What my son of, you know, my primary focus is to those who preach. So why are you teaching people how to build earthly wealth? And you are not teaching them, first of all, how to build eternal wealth. I sat down one day, my wife and I watched a church on TV. Told you about it. Beautiful church. When I finished hearing what they were preaching, I said, is this a church? There was no Jesus in it. There was customer service, how to make your customers come back. Nothing wrong with it in Lagos Business School. Nothing even wrong with it in church. Organize a special program, business seminar for Christians. Go and listen to it. Sunday service, Four keys to effective corporate, um, give me one big English people use, effective corporate social responsibility. Church? Listen, what you owe the corporate and the social responsible people, <laughs> this is my point, is Christ too. Why do we preach? I see people are supposed to build wealth on this earth and not first of all build eternal wealth. One day, one brother approached me and told me some of the difficulties he's having. I said to him, go and pray. Only God can do this to a man. That's what I told him. Financial difficulties. He told me one issue after that. When I finished listening to him, I said, my brother, you need to pray. I said, God must be telling you something. I don't know what. And that person came to me once they analyzed all the financial issues they were having, the family, everything they've done to try and solve it and all of that. I said, do you know what? And that one, I still feel so strong I was right. I said, you know what you're doing? You are trying to solve a spiritual problem through material means. You think you need more money? God says you don't need more money. And I'm so sure of that. That God said you don't need more money. I said, all this one you are doing, you are trying to solve. The problem is spiritual. When I say spiritual, I don't mean which is after you. That's not what I'm talking about. Your grandmother and family say you will not succeed. I said, no, 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 no. There are some, there are some spiritual, some critical spiritual adjustments you are supposed to make. You haven't made them. You are investing in business. You have not made them. You are looking for multiple streams of income. I hope you know, multiple streams of income can suddenly turn to multiple streams of trouble. Ah, You don't know that? Seven streams of income will become eight streams of calamity. Creditors from this side. Police from this side. 
court case from this side, you just stand one day and say, God, kill me. It is better that I'm, I'm dead than I'm alive. I said to the person, please, go and solve the spiritual problem. Over time, the physical one will solve itself. What am I saying? Preachers, let's stop preaching to people as if they are no longer Christians. They are now worldly people. They have a new strategy for business development and success in material things. Let's not forget the two churches in Revelation. Smyrna and Laodicea. In Smyrna, Jesus said, I know of your poverty, but let me tell you a secret. You are rich. In Laodicea, he said, you think you are rich, but let me tell you, you are poor. Hey, wait, don't go yet. You're not only poor, you are blind. They say, hey, wait, I've not finished. You are wretched. One more thing. You are, you are naked. To them straight, you are naked, you are poor, you are wretched, you are blind. These were people that had everything. Let's tell our people again. To pursue what? True wealth. We have made them too worldly. And the problem has been from where? The pulpit. That is what the Spirit is saying in this season. Listen, we have to take correction. God does not give advice. I have not brought a word of advice. I have brought a word of rebuke, a word of, of correction. And anytime correction comes like that, it is God saying, I don't want to judge. What have I done? I have told you, go and judge yourselves so I will not have to do it. Preachers, pastors, bishops. And listen, if you're a church member, you heard this. Your pastor did not hear it. Please go to our website, pastor.ng. Download everything and say, pastor, listen. Listen to this. It's a word from heaven for you. We church members will pay attention. But pastor, listen to this. Because judgment is around the corner for those who will not pay heed to these words. Let's bow down heads to pray. Can I just give it all thanks?